Welcome to the show. I'm Shane Norton, a.k.a. The Sports Card Nobody, and this is another episode of the Sports Card Nobody podcast, and happy Halloween to all of you out there. I am recording this on Halloween night. What a fun, awesome, awesome holiday Halloween is. I adore this time of year. I adore the decorations. I adore the uh, the spookiness and the horror movies and all that. Sign me up for October all day. I am just so in love with October. I am in love with everything about this time of year. I guess except for the fact that we are headed towards winter. Deal with that. You know, I lived out in LA for 10 years for a reason. I kind of like the nice weather. But anyway, uh, Halloween is not one of my complaints about this time of year, though. Um, had a blast. This was a really fun night. My daughter was dressed up as Toothless from How to Train Your Dragon. Her little brother was dressed up as uh, Stormfly, I think, is one of the other dragon from How to Train Your Dragon. We did the trick-or-treating thing, walked around the neighborhood, said hi to a bunch of neighbors, got a whole bunch of candy. Uh, I'm actually recording this a little bit later, kind of catching up because of the Halloween festivities that we uh, partook in. And it was a blast, man. My my daughter was so adorable out there. My wife actually makes the costumes every year. Uh, you know, my, my wife is an extremely talented artist. She's very creative, very crafty, very creative, like I said. And she has been making Halloween costumes for years. They're always just incredibly well done. My wife is amazing. She's an amazing mother, an amazing wife, an amazing person. So she just crushed it with the toothless costume um and the stormfly costume really really fun night for the nobody family out there but yes so i am recording this after all of the halloween fun after the halloween movies we watched before bedtime and and all that kind of stuff so i am playing catch up but i am going to lean into the halloween fun a little bit on this episode i am going to talk about as my main topic hobby fears it's October. We love to get scared. We love to get spooked. So why don't we address some of the hobby fears that if you're anything like me, you might have experienced or are experiencing right now. Who knows? I know that uh, the, the things that I want to cover are real to me. So maybe they are real to you. I hope you stick around and listen to that. Uh, what is going on in the sports world? Welp, I don't know. Sports are awful. I don't even want to talk about it. Can we just ignore sports? for now is that fine can we do that can we ignore the fact that the Dodgers won 111 games had one of the greatest run differentials in the history of baseball when it comes to modern baseball nobody's even close and they won one postseason game they got beat in the NLDS by the San Diego Padres in four games it was brutal they could not hit a lick they could not knock in anybody from scoring position I don't know what to say. October is a tough time for Dodgers fans most of the year. Tons of regular season success. Only one championship in 2020, which we can't get away from the people knocking that World Series championship as if it was not a real championship, which that's for the haters. You guys can hate all you want. That postseason was amazing. That postseason was real. And anyone trying to knock that, it's just a bunch of babies whose team could not win in the short season. Sorry that your teams uh, sucked and the Dodgers didn't, but uh, it is what it is. You know, 2022 did not end the way uh, any Dodger fan had hoped, obviously, but that's sports, man. Only one team can win the title. So what are you going to do? We're going to pretend baseball isn't real. We're going to pretend that the season is over. 
And who cares about the World Series that got postponed? Game three got postponed tonight anyway. Between the Phillies and the hated Houston Astros. I am Team Phillies. I am Team Bryce Harper. I hope that uh, he continues to mash the way that he's been mashing. I think I talked about it a little bit last week how uh, I'm a big Bryce Harper fan and I am still rooting for him. <clears throat> but um, yeah, uh, sports continues to suck for me. But hey, the NBA season just started. Preseason ended. The The Lakers lost five preseason games in a row and are 1-0 and on the season. Mm-hmm. What's that? Oh, oh no, those were real games. The Lakers lost their first five real games and are now one in five. That's what you're telling me? <clears throat> well, that sucks. I don't know what to say. The Lakers are brutal. Be brutal. Uh, LeBron James is still LeBron James. Anthony Davis is still Anthony Davis. And by that, I mean the guy can't stay healthy. I think he, he missed a game because he dunked a basketball too hard the other day. Russell Westbrook is now coming off the bench, though, and is accepting of that role. So maybe something happens there and they win a lot more than they lose the rest of the way go lakers <clears throat> uh the kings have won some games in hockey i don't know i don't really keep up with it as much but um they won they beat the Tampa Bay lightning and i'm fair weather i'll pay attention about halfway through the season see how they're doing but um yeah i don't know let's move on let's start to talk about some real stuff <clears throat> excuse me, I can keep clearing my throat. As you all know, I was sick and I'm still dealing with some of the residual effects of that. So excuse me while I clear my throat a little bit this evening. But uh, let's let's talk about some sports card stuff. Let's talk about some things I want to discuss. I want to do a little promotion. Is that all right with you guys? I don't promote too much stuff on the show too often, but I'm going to promote the hell out of something right now. Uh, I hinted at it last week. It's been on my social media. It's been all over the Cousin Collectibles social medias as well. But finally... The collaboration that you have all dreamed about has come true. The greatest combination of mega forces since Macho Man and Hulk Hogan joined to form the mega powers. Or since Triple H and Stone Cold Steve Austin teamed up to form the two-man power trip. That's right. I'm talking about the Faction, baby. The Faction podcast is out. The very first episode dropped. Cousins Collectibles, Cousin Oz, Cousin Tony, and yours truly, Shane Norton, a.k.a. the Sports Car Nobody have decided to join forces and link up and put out a once-a-month podcast on all things hobby. We are having a blast. That first episode was a lot of fun. We learned a lot, but man, we had a blast like we did when they were on my show, when I was on their show. There is a real chemistry there between the three of us, three people who've only met in person once at the National this, this past year, but the way that we are able to just bounce off one another and, and just have some laughs, have some debates, have some arguments. Um, it was a lot of fun. We covered all kinds of things that episode. We talked about the backyard break news. We talked about separating artists from art. We talked about whether or not baseball is exciting again. We did a little bit of uh, our own version of whether or not you should buy a car with rip it, rip it or slab it. Lots of topics were covered. Lots of laughs were had. You should definitely go check it out. You can find that on the Cousins Collectibles podcast platform. We're going to bounce back and forth every single month as of now with whose platform it will be on. We're still learning. We're still figuring it out. But it is good stuff. And I think that we are bringing something a little bit different to the table with that collaboration. I hope you will take some time to go check it out. Like I said, you can find it anywhere you can find the Cousins Collectibles podcast Uh 
you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that jazz. And it's going to be on YouTube as well. Please go give us a listen and let us know what you think. The feedback has been insanely positive so far. I felt good about it when we recorded. I felt good about, about it listening back. But something about having people reach out and share their thoughts and, and all of it being so positive is amazing. Go check it out and tell me what you think as well. But all right, that's it for my promotion. That's it for that, except uh, except for this one. You can follow me at Sports Card Nobody on Instagram, at Sport Card Nobody on Twitter. If you'd like to tell me what you think about that collaboration, go listen to the Faction Podcast, powered by the NCO, baby, and let me know what you think. That's where you can find me. Shout me a holler. Slide into the DMs. I have been trying desperately to keep up with the DMs as I've been falling behind with all of the things going on with me. You can listen to last week's episode if you'd like to know more about that. But why don't we move on? Why don't we get this train rolling and get the show on to something I know you all like tremendously, and that is my kickoff. I have a fun kickoff tonight. Before I get into the main topic, before I address our hobby fears, I want to talk about some fun October stuff. It is still October as I'm recording this. Before this ends, we will... Uh, we will um, um, what am I trying to say? We're still in October. When this ends, it'll be November. You get what I'm trying to say. But <clears throat> October really is the time for baseball to shine. And that's what I want to concentrate on tonight. I want to talk about some of the greatest postseason performances of all time. October is traditionally when baseball's postseason is in full effect. It does go into November for the World Series um, every every year now. But October is really the meat of the playoffs. And that's what I want to count down tonight. I'm going to count down the top five greatest October performances of all time. Some of these things might have leaked into November or whatever, but you get the point. The greatest postseason performances of all time. That's what we're doing here on the show. That's what Shane Norton, a.k.a. the sports car nobody, wants to talk about. So why don't we do it? Now listen, this is a tough, tough, tough top five. I've had some really brutal ones throughout the weeks as I continue to do this. But man, there's some monster names off this list. I just talked about 2020. Corey Seager that year won the NLCS and World Series MVP honors. The dude hit eight home runs, which I think is still the record or tied for the record for most home runs in a postseason. He, he was hitting up over 300. Monster, monster postseason. And he didn't make my top five. Reggie Jackson, the guy whose nickname is Mr. October, who hit, uh, I think, a home run in four straight games, including three in one World Series game, uh, is not on this list. How the hell can that be? Well, why don't we find out? Who are the top five on my list? A quick fun fact before I get into it. There are three gentlemen on this list that, um, I guess in my opinion are not Hall of Famers. There's another one on the list who arguably maybe should be on the list. So four of the five guys on this list uh, probably don't end up in Cooperstown. And that really speaks to the wildness that October can be. Um, I mean, the heroes that come out of nowhere and can just build a legendary resume with just one month's worth of great baseball. And there's a lot of that on this list. Why don't we stop delaying? I, I'm delaying here, aren't I? I'll shut up now. Except I won't. What I'll do is I'll move on to the actual top five, the top five greatest October performances of all time in 
baseball. Number five, David Freeze, 2011 for the Cardinals. David Freeze played with Albert Pujols. Pujols is a lock for the Hall of Fame, and Freeze is never going to sniff Cooperstown. But in 2011, he went on to hit 397, had a 1.259 OPS, five home runs and 21 RBI, including... A walk-off home run in Game 6 of that World Series. He won NLCS and World Series MVP honors. And David Freeze really powered that team to a World Series championship. And here he is on number 5 on the list for one of the greatest Octobers you're ever going to see. You should definitely go look what that dude was doing that year because it was off the wall. And that brings us to number 4. 2011 for the Arizona Diamondbacks. There's actually two guys that would have an argument for this list, but one clearly shined over the other, and that is Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling also had the amazing bloody sock moment in 2008 for the Red Sox, but his 2001 heroics for the Diamondbacks tallied out at 48.1 innings pitch. He had a 1.12 ERA. He threw three complete games, had 56 strikeouts, Gave up just 25 hits and six walks and really was the um, the heart and soul of getting that 2001 team over the hump. That was that 2001 Yankees team. That series went seven and ended with an insane walk-off hit by Luis Gonzalez. But the, the heroics of Schilling and also Randy Johnson in that, in that series were just insanely iconic and legendary. But Schilling deserves the honor of, of taking down... Um, the number four spot for greatest October performances ever. And that is where he lands to be outdone by maybe a little bias by your boy here. Maybe I'm okay with it. It's my show. Deal with it. You can argue with me at sports card. Nobody on Instagram at sport card. Nobody on Twitter. But for me, number three goes to oral Hershiser, the bulldog 1988 for the Dodgers. He threw 42.2 innings pitch. He had three complete games, including two shutouts. He finished with a 1.05 ERA. He struck out 32 while giving up just 25 hits and 15 walks. The Bulldog was on a different level of dominance in that 88 World Series. Everybody remembers the Kirk Gibson home run. I've talked about it a lot on the show, obviously, because I'm a Dodgers fan and I'm a baseball fan. One of the greatest home runs in the history of the sport and the history of the World Series. But what Earl Hershiser did gets lost in the shuffle because he just carried that team to an improbable World Series victory, especially as massive underdogs against the Mets in that NLCS. And then again, massive underdogs to the A's in that World Series. But the Bulldog powered through and lands not only as a World Series champion, but as number three on the nobody's list of greatest October performances of all time. But he was outshined by the only guy who's in the Hall of Fame on this list as of now, and that is the poppy, David Ortiz, for the Red Sox in 2004. This 2004 um, playoff performance by the team and by Ortiz is without question one of the greatest stories in the history of the game. The Red Sox had not won a World Series in like 100 years or whatever. It was like 80-something years at that point. Uh, and they went into that ALCS losing the first three games to the hated Yankees. They were down three games to zero. Ended up becoming the only team ever 
to overcome that deficit, got to the World Series, and finally ended the curse of the Bambino. And David Ortiz was the insane, insane um, heart behind that, hitting 400 for the playoffs. He had a 1.279 OPS. He had five home runs and 19 RBI. And as a DH has found himself in Cooperstown, and that 2004 season is a huge reason for it. He became known as one of the most clutch hitters in all of baseball at that time. Lots of debate if that's even true. Whatever. What he did in that particular um, postseason cannot be denied. A lot of story behind it. A lot of history behind it. And because of it, he landed at number two. So who could it be that is the greatest October performance of all time? Probably a pretty easy answer. Uh, this is still talked about as one of the most insane runs ever. It is a tough one for me, but it is 2014's postseason performance by Madison Bumgarner for the San Francisco Giants. What did he do to deserve it? I'll tell you. He threw 52.2 innings pitched. He had a 1.03 ERA. He had two complete games in that run. He had 45 strikeouts on top of just 28 hits and just six walks allowed. He was coming out of the bullpen. He was just straight dominant and helped that Giants dynasty secure their third title in five seasons. Absolutely an insane run by the left-hander. Started being called the greatest left-hander in the game at that time, which is a little bit silly because Clayton Kershaw is one of the greatest pitchers of all time, not just lefty, whatever. But then when you talk about October, it is a completely different ball game. And Madison Bumgarner took his game to levels that we have rarely seen in the history of this sport. So congratulations, Madison Bumgarner. Not only did you win a World Series ring in 2014 because of what you were willing or able to do, but you also land number one on the nobody's list of greatest October performances of all time. Huge accomplishment. Congratulations to you and your family for being mentioned by me. What a run that was. As much as it pains me to say as a Dodgers fan, what Bumgarner did is one for the ages. So why don't we talk about the cards for the guy that finds himself at number one on the spot? He's a pitcher. So he doesn't get a lot of love. And quite frankly, outside of what he did in the postseason, his career is going to fall short of Cooperstown. Maybe gets a little bit of a nod because of the October October accomplishments alone. But his regular season has uh, numbers don't really put him in the echelon, the upper echelon of greatest pitchers. Uh, just being completely bi- or unbiased here. This is true. Go look it up. He got a little overrated because of the October run. But all that is to say, he's a pitcher. He definitely is not amongst the greatest ever. Uh, So he doesn't get a ton of love uh, from the hobby. So you can find some of his stuff relatively affordably. Uh, One of his most sort of sought after rookie cards is actually a prospect card. This is 2008 Bowman Chrome Prospects is number to 500. You can find, I mean, just most recent sales of that were right around 60 bucks. Uh, It's an autograph card. Nice looking card. Um, but extremely, extremely affordable. I think there's even several that the asking price is, is even a little bit higher on eBay right now, but I'm sure you can get it lower based on comps. 
You can also look to get uh, a little more of a rare version is the X Fractor. That one is numbered just to 250 and there's hard to find sales on that one recently, but there are asking prices around 250 to 500 based on grades and whatnot. But again, really, really affordable and, and likely you can, you can OBO that down to a lot lower of a price. Now, as usual, I try not to just talk about um, rookie rookie style cards. I try to talk about even you know more modern or more relevant cards. And, and for me, relevant for this particular um, this particular countdown would be the 2014 season. That is the year that Madison Bumgarner uh, etched his name into the history books, into the lore of baseball. And you can find some monster stuff from that year. If you're a Bumgarner fan, if you're a Giants fan, and you want to sort of have something to represent that run and that World Series title. Uh, right now, or most recent sales, there's a 2014 five-star baseball, number to 25. That's an auto card by Tops. That thing sold for 25 bucks. Then there's a 2014 Tops tribute, number to just 35. Again, with a really nice autograph. I believe that one is on card, and that one had sold for 56 bucks. So if you want to represent that year in that World Series ring, you can find something that will just scream and just pop in your collection. Go check it out. Not a lot of love for pitchers in the hobby. Not a lot of love for Bumgarner specifically as well. So if you're a fan, if you just want something, you can definitely get a gorgeous piece to add to your collection. And I would love to see it if you do. But why don't we recap real quick the top five greatest October performances of all time. A lot of people got left off this list. That was hard for me. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts and opinions, but to recap it, number five, David Freeze, 2011 for the Cardinals. Number four, Kurt Schilling, 2001 with the Diamondbacks. Number three, Oral Hershiser, the Bulldog, 1988 for the Dodgers. Number two, David Ortiz, 2004 with the Red Sox. And number one, Madison Bumgarner, 2014 with the San Francisco Giants as they wrapped up their third title in five years. That's the countdown. That's my top five, and that's the order. Let me know what you think. I would love to hear it. I would love to see what you think. But let's keep this ball rolling, and why don't we move on to the main topic of tonight's episode. Like I said... It's Halloween. I love this time of year. I wanted to try to do something somewhat related to uh, this time of year, this time, the, the spirit of the season, and I thought it would be fun to discuss some hobby fears. Uh, I have three main topics or three main sort of, um, I guess, categories for some real fears that I believe if you're anything like me, if you are, if you are a nobody in this hobby, you likely feel, and, and even if you if you're not, I mean, you know, I, I have a lot of people that listen to me that that are uh, able to acquire and curate some insanely massive pieces for their collections, and I believe that this will still be relevant um, to really pretty much anybody who who enjoys this hobby because it's just real human uh, reactions when you're invested in something. So let's just get into it. There's three main topics or three main categories of this topic I want to discuss. Three main fears. One of the most prevalent one is the fear of missing out. It's pretty obvious what that means, right? Some new product releases, we'll talk about um, uh, Tops Transcend, or I'm sorry, um, Panini, uh, 
oh, geez, I'm losing my mind here. Panini just dropped the impeccable line for um, for WWE. And that thing is hot right now. Lots of cards selling. And even I've been interested in trying to get my hands on one. And people right away are saying, pump the brakes. Wait for the hype to drop down. Uh, Rob Gerard, the sports card therapist, just hit me up on or uh, responded to a comment on Twitter about it, right? You know, slow down and let the hype wear off. We saw this big time, huge with the Panini Prism release that came out months ago now. The the um, hype on that was through the roof. Boxes were selling at like close to the 1500 bucks, and now you can find them for probably $300, $350 maybe. You know, it really came down. And a lot of that, a lot of that hype, a lot of that feeling of I've got to have this, I've got to have this, is is really that FOMO, that fear of missing out, this fear that um, things are going to sell and they're going to be gone and you're not going to be able to get them again. You know, these boxes are selling out left and right. And if I don't get one now, it's going to cost me, you know, 2x, 3x, 10x later to try to get a box because we have seen that. We have seen products release and and the, the initial hype isn't quite there, but then after months and years, the prices just continue to climb and climb and climb, and all of a sudden it becomes unattainable. Or you missed out on a big opportunity to flip and invest and make money off of it. We saw this big time with, with F1. When the first F1 product released a couple of years ago, it came out at a fairly expensive price. Um, and a lot of people were saying, you know, this is this, there's something here, there's something here. And before you knew it, that the, the prices in those boxes had gone through the roof and it almost became uh, unattainable for so many people. Now, there has been some regression. We've seen it throughout the entire hobby. We've seen um, a lot of things come back to earth a little bit. But nonetheless, this idea that that if I don't have it now, if I don't get this and other people do, I'm not going to be a part of that community. I'm not going to be able to make the same money or, or, or have this piece that I can have in my collection. And that's a real driving factor to why we make some of the decisions that we make. Sometimes we're driven by this fear of missing out to make an illogical decision. Um, you know, m- maybe we overextend ourselves. We, we throw something on a credit card because we think, uh, I, if I, this is just the way that I can do this, the way that I can afford this, I'm going to buy this and, and boom, I make this big purchase. And then later on, that fear of missing out, if that, if that FOMO is the driving factor behind a decision that you are making when you are purchasing something for your collection, for your investments, whatever it is, it is very, very likely that that FOMO is going to later turn into some sort of regret, some sort of uh, empty feeling, You know, this idea that you feel unsatisfied by a purchase. I have absolutely had this happen. I, I was a part of that with the Prism release. Now, to be fair, I had a real belief behind the product, and I, I, and I wasn't just being driven by, by the hype machine that definitely existed, and I wasn't just being driven by, by the fear of missing out, but I did believe that if I didn't strike early on that, I would miss out, and I did believe in the product, though. Um, but in the end, the, the prices really came down, and by the time I... I moved out of that product, I had lost money and I moved into some other things and I was able to make a trade out of it. But it it definitely happened. You know, I definitely had some of these fears within me that did somewhat um, um, sort of drive my decision making to a certain extent. Again, for the most part, I've moved on in my hobby evolution and I don't really buy things unless I believe in them. And sometimes that belief is just misplaced and misguided and, and wrong. 
I was wrong that the prison that the prism boxes were going to hold their value for longer or, or even go up. They came down fast and furious. Um, and that happens. You know, you play the game, you get burned. What are you going to do? You try to move on from it and, and try to just kind of pick your head back up and keep moving. And that's what I did through my prism release experience. Um, but I will tell you that that I really have evolved to a point that I, I, I try not to make illogical decisions based on a fear of missing out because there's not too much hype that can that can affect me because I, I have learned to sort of um, narrow down what it is I, I collect. And for the most part, I'm not collecting cards to flip. I'm not collecting cards to invest. I'm collecting cards to to tell my story, to express myself, uh, whether that's through my Bret Hart collection or my 2020 Topps um, uh, Topps uh, finest WWE set, or my my Dodgers cards that I've been adding lately, a lot from the 2020 season when they won the World Series. You know, these are things that that are I'm driven by my own passions and my own my own loves and my own stories that I want to tell about myself and about the things that I enjoy. So I'm not necessarily being driven by any sort of hype machine on those. And I'm not worried necessarily about missing out. There is always the possibility that you can miss out on a rare card, though. And this has happened to me recently twice, actually. There have been two um, worthwhile, to say the least, Bret Hart Super Fractors that have uh, moved that I haven't been able to get my hands on. As a Bret Hart collector... I definitely had the FOMO when I, when I, um, well, one of them I actually didn't even get a chance to get. I've talked about this, the, uh, the finest super fractor version. I didn't even see it before it sold. So I never got the chance to have the FOMO, but, um, but the second one that sold when it first popped up, you know, I was looking at it and, and I was trying to figure out how to make it work. And really the reason it didn't work out is because of the price. It was just, it was out of my nobody price range, but I 100% was trying to figure out how to, finesse things, how I could move things, how to be somewhat very aggressive to get my hands on that card because I believed that once it sold, I would never, ever get a chance at it again. Uh, We will see if that's true. It did sell, but I have hope that I actually might have some chance at it in the future. But regardless, um, FOMO was definitely pushing me to try to figure out how to change some of my decision making to get my hands on that card and to be perfectly honest had i been able to make that work i would have been super thrilled and it's highly unlikely that regret would have set in because that is a card that really would have fit within my collection so perfectly it wasn't something that i would have been necessarily worried about value crashing or or something of that nature i mean of course you know and this i actually will talk about this a little bit later but if if all of a sudden that card was 50% of its value and I could have gotten it six months later at 50%, that would have been a bummer. And the FOMO would have been the reason I would have bought it at the higher price. But when you're talking about something that rare, it's kind of a tough one because uh, that card may not sell ever again, at least publicly. So we will see. So FOMO is is super common. I mean, it's common in every every aspect of our lives. It's, it is such a, a real thing we hear all about. And there's a reason FOMO is, um, you know, that little saying exists, that fear of missing out is so prevalent throughout our lives and throughout this hobby. But I encourage you, if you find your lane and you find the things that you're 
collecting and curating and acquiring for reasons beyond financial gain, and you're doing it for passion and you're doing it for love, FOMO is going to grab a hold of you less and less and less because you're not going to care that you miss out on a big brand new release because that release doesn't fit what you do. It doesn't fit your collection if you are a super collector of a particular uh, player, wrestler, pop culture icon, whatever it might be. When you have your lane, you're going to be a lot more focused and you're going to feel the effects of FOMO a lot less. Moving on to the next one, and this is a big one that I have I have 100% felt quite a bit, and that's a fear of relevancy. When we collect and we become a part of a community and we become a part of this hobby, we see what other people are doing. We join our different groups. We join our, our different, um, or we follow different people on Twitter. We follow different people on Instagram. We start listening to content. I mean, there's folks who are listening to me right now who have shared some of these concerns through different conversations that we've had. So what I am talking about here is fear of relevancy. And when we see all of these different people collecting what they collect, we start to wonder and question if what we are doing is relevant. Does anybody actually care beyond ourselves? When I share a new Topps Finest card, which I haven't in a while, you may have noticed, and I'll talk about that a little bit later, but when you're when you're sharing something new on, on Instagram and, and maybe you only get a couple likes and nobody really comments and and you don't really get any real response towards what you're what you're sharing, you might start to wonder if people care. I've done it. I've done it quite a bit. I, I've shared stuff on Twitter, I've shared stuff on my Instagram. And, and I sometimes wonder, man, no, does anybody even like this card besides me? Am I all alone in that? And that that can start to alter the way you want to buy and share as well. And and maybe that's, that fear relevancy starts to um, reveal itself in the things that you buy. It becomes a lot more tempting to potentially go out and buy a, a Michael Jordan 86 Fleer card, right? Because that is one of the most iconic important and relevant sports cards that exist you share your michael jordan 86 Fleer card you're likely going to get a lot of engagement on that card a lot more than if you share your 2020 finest sheamus autograph right it's just because the market for michael jordan is massive there's a lot of people that care about michael jordan cars there's a lot of people that are invested in michael jordan cars there's a lot of people that have a vested interest and how relevant and popular that that card remains. So you might find yourself being somewhat driven towards cards that you might not be as passionate about because of the amount of engagement and conversation around them. It's similar to FOMO. It's similar to a fear of missing out. But but this one is really speaking more to the validation that I think the majority of us seek, that the majority of us crave might not be true for everybody and it might be true for different people at different levels some people might only be sharing cards because they want the likes some people uh and i think i fall more into this category when i share something i enjoy the validation that i sometimes receive i enjoy sharing a card and having somebody go oh my god that really is something special great job that collection that you're building is phenomenal whatever it might be that adds to my enjoyment of the hobby 
is part of the reason I started this podcast to continue to grow the community around me to continue to grow the amount of like-minded individuals that share in this passion of collecting pieces of cardboard. So that, that relevancy for me definitely matters to a certain extent. Now, like FOMO, like everything that I've continued to do in this hobby, I continue to push myself to try to evolve, to try to mature, to try to become a collector that has something that I am proud of. And in the end, that's what matters more to me than the validation that I get on Instagram, than the validation that I might or might not get on Twitter, than the validation that I might or might not get from my close friends and family. I mean, my I talk about this a lot, but when I show stuff to my wife, she looks at it and she kind of goes, oh, OK, I mean, that's um, that's a card, I guess. Right. You know, I, I'm definitely not getting the validation at home when I when I share these things. But in the end, I don't care enough anymore. Because because what I care about is the same thing I talk about all the time. I care about the expression of myself. I care about the stories that I get to tell through the cards about the things that I enjoy. I get to talk about Bret Hart and my love for his art form and the things that he did in the ring. I get to talk about my Christian McCaffrey rookie card because he was the MVP behind me winning some fantasy football championships. And oh, by the way, now he's wearing a 49ers jersey. That's the things that I care about. Some folks will come into my home and they will see these things and I will get to say, yeah, that's my 2020 World Series shelf. That is my Corey Seager number to 25 Topps Chrome 2020 card. It's not his rookie card. I don't care. That's the year that the dude won the NLCS and World Series MVP and the Dodgers finally won the World Series. So the fear of relevancy is is for sure real and it is for sure strong. But like I talked about with FOMO, if if, if you can find your lane and your passions and your own um, storytelling that you want to do with your cards, that that fear of relevancy is is going to matter less to you. You're not going to care about missing out on a big purchase and you're going to stop worrying about how many people actually like or comment on your posts because you know that you like it and you enjoy that expression of yourself. And that brings me to the last sort of um, subtopic on this topic, and that's fear of mistakes. There's a lot of ways that you can define a mistake in a hobby. Uh, I, I kind of talked about this when I was talking about the fear of missing out and whatnot. But, um, you know, when I was talking about the, the Bret Hart card that I missed, um, you know, I, I there's always the fear that if you buy a card, that you're going to regret it later for all kinds of reasons. And one of those reasons is maybe you bought too early, you bought into the hype, and now you've made a mistake because you could have gotten that card cheaper. Even if you don't care about the investment, even if you're not in it to flip it, if you're in it because you love it and you're passionate about it, this is still something uh, that you can step into. And that is still getting swayed, still even your own passion start to grab hold and, and you're making decisions sort of rash or... Or you just make the wrong play at the wrong time. Timing is everything in basically everything in life, and it is everything in this hobby. You can't predict the future, but you're trying to. So if you buy a card at, you know, 
100% of its asking price and could have bought it a few months later at 50% of its asking price, that's a mistake that can really start to alter the way that you uh, will make your decisions that you buy. Almost every single time I'm buying a card, I still have this fear. I have a fear that I'm I'm buying too high or um, I'm buying even the wrong card. You know, sometimes I have 100% done that. I've shared it a few times where I bought a card and realized later it wasn't the, you know, I bought it so quickly because I thought the price was right. And it turns out, oh, that wasn't the right card. I just made a big mistake. Uh, I mean, the Aaron Judge card I sold, I sold this year. I, I doubled my money on it, but when I bought that card, I thought it was a Topps Chrome card. I had looked at so many cards, and then when I finally pulled the trigger on one because of, I made an offer and then forgot about it, got confused. Turns out it was just the paper version of the card. Thought I got an amazing price on a Chrome card. Turns out I got a fair price on a paper card that I did later actually make money on, which was cool. Um, but I mean, mistakes happen in all different ways. They happen in the way you negotiate. They happen again, because of the timing or they happen just because you make, you, know, you read something incorrectly, whatever it might be. And this fear of, of mistakes can really start to slow you down when you're trying to purchase something or, or make you talk to yourself a lot more about it than maybe you would. And then the card sells, you know, if you're, if you're really worried about trying to get the best possible price on something, sometimes we're afraid that yes, I'm going to buy this. I could buy it right now at this buy it now price at this bin price. But if I see it later at a cheaper price, I'm going to be mad at myself. And while you're mulling that over overnight, you sleep on it, you wake up and the card is sold. Now it's gone. And now you have to hope that you see it again. You have to hope that you see it at a price that you like. Now, this is one that I absolutely still struggle with. And, and I have not evolved to a point where where the fear of mistakes has really started to lessen for me. Um, you know, I believe that I've mitigated fear of missing out. I believe that I've mitigated fear of relevancy. But fear of mistakes still uh, affects the way that I, I negotiate almost um, probably every single time. The big Brett card that I missed, the big super fractor that sold, I, I was involved in, in some negotiations and I was really, really trying to push it away to try to try to make that work. But I, I mean, I was afraid that maybe I was overextending myself and I didn't want to make that mistake. I was I had a lot of different fears and I could not commit to that card, um, mostly because I, I try to remain disciplined. I try to remain at a at my nobody level for for real uh, responsibility reasons. And that card was going to push me at a, at a level that was way out of my comfort zone. And, and my fear of that, my fear of all the mistakes that I could be making 100% affected the way I negotiated. And, um, and I'm sure that that came across to the person that was selling the card and, and they opted to sell to other people, uh, to another person. And, and likely because the way that my fear of making a mistake in this, um, sort of, um, hung over our conversations. I don't have an answer for it yet. You know, mistakes will be made though. Like I said, I have made them. I have made real silly mistakes where I've bought cards that I thought was a different card. But all I can say is I continue to evolve and I continue to grow and I continue to find the lanes that I love. And I still am continuing to grow a collection that I am so very, very proud of. 
Uh, I have so many cards that I look around and I look around my office and I, and I look at and I'm and I just think that that's awesome. That card is sick. That card fits so well with what I'm trying to do. That card tells something um, about me that I want, you know, the world to whoever comes in here, my friends, my family, my the strangers I share with that I that the story that I want to tell to them. And that's something that I dig. And regardless of my fear of making a mistake, that it continues to be the driving factor for me in what I do with this hobby. And I hope, and I really, really hope that that is the same for you. So the biggest fears that I, I covered here is the fear of missing out. Very simply, you see something out there and, and you're afraid that it's going to go. So you start to make decisions in a, in a sort of rash manner that maybe you wouldn't have made other way because of this FOMO. There's the fear of relevancy as we share things. We want people to validate and appreciate them the same way that we appreciate them. And we sometimes fear that that won't be true and that can affect our decision-making. And then there's the fear of mistakes, fear of paying too much by mistake, fear of whatever it might be. And again, the way this can affect the way we buy and the way we collect is always hard to quantify, but it has an effect. These fears are real and I'm, would love to know if you share them. Reach out to me if so, at Sports Card Nobody on Instagram, at Sport Card Nobody on Twitter. Is it just me? Am I the only one with these October 31st Halloween spooky fears? Or are you with me? How do you manage them? When you have FOMO, when you have fear of relevancy, when you have fear of making a mistake, how do you mitigate them as you do your negotiations and your buying? I would love, love to know. So reach out, like I said, Instagram, Twitter, I'm on those places. Also, if you're enjoying anything I'm doing here, please leave me a review at your podcast hub of choice. Reviews go a long way to helping the show grow, but not as um, as impactful as the simple act of sharing this. Share this with friends, share this with family, share this with anybody you think might care about anything I have to say about this fun little hobby that we all partake, partake in. Man, feel like I talked really poorly tonight. If you think I did and you want to leave a review about that, please go ahead and do that. But ladies and gentlemen, that's all I got. I hope you enjoyed the show. As always, thank you so much for listening and have a good one.